we send them with the Lord's blessing. How's everybody doing this morning? Seems kind of like, I don't know, maybe cheesy, but I actually care how you're doing. Like, you know, this is a relationship, right? We're people just checking in to see how everyone is doing. Trust we're going to make it through this winter together. Although it hasn't been so bad January, has it? Not so bad. We'll take it. It's almost February. We're going to make it, people. We've been in this series uh, called We Shall Be Like Him. And in many ways, this title to the series uh, gives us a vision unlike any other about our destiny. This vision is a, a, a picture of our future uh, in Christ Jesus. That there will be a day where we stand before Christ face to face. And First John told us that when we stand before Jesus, that we will be like Him. When we see Him, we will be like Him. We recognize today two things. We have not seen Him physically, nor are we completely like Him. Amen? We have quite a ways to go. And we've been asking the question, how do we get there? How do we grow? How do we prepare ourselves for the day in which we stand before Jesus Christ face to face? Well, Jeremy helped us understand a little bit about that a couple weeks back, where he talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification, or should we just say our growth? So when we say sanctification, we're talking about our progressive, ongoing growth in conformity to the person of Jesus Christ. We use those phrases and that word interchangeably. That's what we mean when we say sanctification, growing in Christ, preparing for the day to see him face to face. Jesus, or, uh, uh, Jeremy was clear that it is the Spirit of God, God's presence in us, the indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit, that as we are beholding the truth about who Jesus is, he is transforming us day by day from one degree of glory into another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Last week we saw that the Spirit of God does something in concert with the Word of God to bring us to Christ, to prepare us for standing before Him. That it is nothing like this book right here, the truth revealed, the teachings therein, to help us grow. That growth in godliness is a constant relying on, trusting in, interaction with, and immersion, as we said, in the scriptures, this book, God's revelation of himself, the spirit and the word. And so we continue today to ask the question, is there more? And like a nice uh, TV salesman, wait, there's more. That didn't really land the way I wanted it to, but that's okay. It's kind of how I felt this week. Wait, there's more. Not just the my pillow, but the my pillow sheet set. <laughs> I'm not as good of a salesman as he is. Great pillows, though. Appreciate it. We turn our attention today to another very instrumental part of our growth in Christ the Spirit 
and the Word. We don't abandon them as we move on, bringing those very significant and instrumental pieces to our growing in Christ. We turn our attention to the role of the church in our sanctification, the role of the church in our growth in Christ. And so I'll just throw it out there for you today. Is it, is it fair to make such a connection? Does the church play any role, significant or insignificant, in our sanctification? What role does the church play, if any, in our growth in Jesus Christ? Let's turn to Ephesians 4. I'm going to read 4 through 16 for us. Ephesians 4, 4 through 16. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. If you know the book of Ephesians at all, you'll know that the first first three chapters are really a, a detailed, profound unpacking of who God is and what God has done in Jesus Christ. The three chapters, there's not one command. There's not real any call to respond yet. In chapters 4 through 6, there's a shift in emphasis away from what or who God is and what God has done to now the response that uh, is, comes and, and there's the call that comes with that in the people that have been transformed by such a work. And so here we are in the opening verses of that, uh, starting at least today in verse 4. Listen to what he says. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. There is a lot going on in there. A lot of phraseology. A lot to unpackage there. But there is one particular phrase that when I read through this over the last week again, continued to jump out at me in shocking proportions. 
And I want to bring you there right from the beginning. There was a phrase there that you might miss given all the other phrases. All the other uh, questions in your mind as you come to this text. There was one phrase in this passage that just immediately like came to me in just shock and awe. What? Are you kidding me? And it's verse 13. Paul's saying that all this is happening until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And here's the phrase. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Whatever God's doing in the midst of those other verses, that's going to continue to happen until mature manhood comes for the church. Until we all, listen to this phrase, it's, it's, it seems too much for me. To, he says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You talk about a vision. When we see him, we shall be like him. You talk about a vision that someday the church and all those included in the church will come to a place where they are what? Measure, they are the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's unthinkable to me. It's unimaginable to me. If we understand Jesus, his nature, his perfection, his righteousness, his love, his holiness, his infinite knowledge. If you understand Christ at all in Ephesians 1 through 3, you are shocked and awed by a phrase like that. You are blown away by the idea that Jesus has set before his people a perfect plan to conform us, to mature us, to grow us, to build us progressively over time so that in some mysterious way that I can't even get my mind around that we are what? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Much bigger than someday I hope to live in Florida and play golf. God has such a vision for us. Right? You see what Paul's praying at the end of chapter 3 in Ephesians, right? Praying that all these things would be filled to the fullness of God. And then he says something. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. He can do so much more than all we could ever ask, think, or imagine. It's way beyond human logic. No, we are not going to be gods. Don't hear that. But in a way that is so wonderful and beautiful, and in the midst of where we are today, the sins that we wrestle with, the struggles that we have, the circumstances that we face, the, 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 pit, uh, the potholes that we walk into and fall into, the doubts that we have about all of this, right? The tension that we feel living now in, in this supposed hope that we have, all that, all the conflict, all the, all the regrets, all the pain, in the midst of all of that, we hear from those scriptures 
a vision that this is what's going to happen someday. The measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ. What a wonderful truth, amen? What is it, about 15 minutes and I haven't even started yet? This is bad for you. <laughs> but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so the question is, how will we get there? How will we get to that place? We continue to ask it. It's real simple. I'm going to do my best to say 30,000 foot in this text. We're not going to hit every phrase. So for you highly detailed people, take a break this week. Right? Just going to hopefully just go over to see the progression here from a 30,000 foot view and see the big picture about what God is truly doing in the lives of his people and how God is doing what he is doing in the lives of his people. Look at the obvious here, right? How are we going to get there? Well, first of all, we're going to get there by the grace of Jesus. We are going to get there. We will mature by the grace of Jesus. We will not mature by conjuring up our own merit or spiritual fortitude. We will not get there in and of ourselves. We do not have what it takes. We're weak and we're empty. Let's just humbly confess that. We don't have enough religious, perfect works, do the right thing. Everything. We don't have it. And so the wonderful, liberating news today is that we are going to get there by the grace of Jesus Christ. Because it's Jesus and His grace that has made us who we are, and it is Jesus and His grace that supplies everything that we need to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's the grace of Jesus. You say, where do you get that? Well, you see this. Verse 4. One body, one spirit. Just you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. This one body, the church, is a creation of Christ. Chapters 1 through 3. We are this. This reality, this oneness, this unity in the body, this interdependent, interconnected unity in the body of Christ, the oneness of the body is, is a reality that has been purchased and secured by Jesus, and it's all been a work of grace, if you know anything about what Ephesians teaches. It's all been the, the displaying of His glorious grace, His unmerited favor toward a world that has rejected Him and rebelled against Him. We are going to get there based on His grace. A grace that has made us one in the body. That's a, a wonderful thing. In the midst of all the division and disagreements, all the conflict and rhetoric in our world and even in our church, it is a wonderful thing to be reminded that the church is one. The universal church has been made by Jesus and it, there is a oneness to it, an inseparable oneness that we enjoy in the body of Christ because of the grace of Jesus. But not only that, we see that there is diversity. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us, talking to individuals now. That each one of us, while we're a part of the oneness of the body, Christ making us who we are, there's also a diversity. We're not all the same. 
that grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift, according to the will of Jesus, his sovereign distribution of graces to each one of us, we're different. Different members of the body. We're not all hands, we're not all arms, we're not all shoulders, we're not all knees. Everyone has a different manifestation of grace. And that, the source of such grace is Christ. Don't miss that. It is Christ that is giving grace. Each one of us has received a grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's an aspect where the grace of Christ is the source of uh, all that would enable and empower our maturation together. He's giving us grace. When he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. These are spiritual gifts. They're manifestations of grace. They're varied, different ways in which God empowers and enables by the grace of Christ for you to function and work independently as a body. Christ provides what we need. We need graces. We need gifts. We need empowerments. We can't do it on our own. So understand that. That if you are in Christ, you have a grace, a gift that he's given you, not for yourself, not to highlight your uh, talents and abilities, not to serve your ego, but no, he's given you a grace, a gift for what? For the body, for the whole, to use and to function in such a way to bring about health to the body. So understand this. You may think you are insignificant, that there's no place for you. You have no gift. You, you, you have no role. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Every man, woman, and child that is in Christ has a specific grace. But to every one of us, grace has been given. So be assured in that. I understand your fears and your anxieties. I understand it's not always easy to get plugged in. But know this 100% that Jesus has a purpose and a plan and he has distributed his grace in a very personal and specific way in your life. And that is for the health and the building and the maturation of the body of Christ. It's according to his will, his distribution. Not only that, Christ provides grace to his church in leadership. Look at verse 11. Not only is he giving gifts, he's giving apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. Leadership. Leadership. He raises up leaders. I'm not going to get into the whole debate about which offices or this or that are, are for today. That's not my purpose here this morning. What we see here is that Jesus indeed has given the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers for a very specific purpose. And it's hard for us today to hear that, I think. It's honestly, given all the, it's sometimes hard for me to preach this, right? Because I'm one of those leaders, right? You feel like, well, I shouldn't really be preaching about myself. And, but this is what the text says. It's hard, a little awkward. It's awkward in our, in our world today because uh, leaders have really abused this role, haven't they? Like, we live in a day and age where people are very skeptical of leadership. 
Anyone that's trying to get them somewhere that they don't want to go. Anyone to get, that's there to get them to do something that in and of themselves they don't really want to do. I mean, at the end of the day, isn't that what leaders do? Hey, bro, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. I don't want to. Right? It's like that's the function of leadership, to empower and to equip, as we'll see, to, to mobilize the church for its mission and its purpose for the good of the church. It's hard today to talk about this because leaders are easily questioned They're resisted, they're rebelled against, they're protested. They're never to be trusted today. And touche. Like I think it's it's fair to just admit that there have been failures, leadership failures. And people have been manipulated. And people have been controlled. And people have been coerced. People have been guilted. Maybe you're living in in the wake of that today. A struggle to trust. A struggle to submit. A struggle to listen. Even now as you hear someone up front trying to teach you something, there's something inside you that says, I don't know if I trust that guy. Right? That, 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 that there is a reality in which people have suffered through this and they've struggled through this. Because leaders have failed. Leaders have sinned. Just because some have struggled and some have sinned, The reality is is that Jesus has raised up leaders in the church for the good of the church. That's been our heart. I think I could speak candidly that we have not been perfect as your elders and leaders. In the last seven years, I have sinned. In the last seven years at Renovation Church, uh, I've made mistakes that affect people's lives. Right? There's no point in trying to pretend that that's not true. And that, that, that hurts here, right? Even the most well-intentioned leaders sin, fail, struggle. And the truth is, it's me. Not perfect. Never have been, never will be, till I see him, right? But our heart from day one has to be, to be a team that is here to what? Empower the church. Equip the church. The elders really care about the growth and maturation of all the people that come to this church. That's that's why we're here this morning. That's why we labor. That's why why I get so annoyed at these sermons every week. Because every phrase counts. Every moment matters. Right? Because, Because your growth matters to us. Your relationship with Jesus. Right? Our mission from day one has been to glorify God. By equipping all of Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship. As we give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. Our mission is not just a mission for the congregation. It's a mission for the leadership to remain consumed with. That we have been raised up by Jesus to serve the saints. To build the saints. To equip the saints. To give the saint the teaching and the training and the opportunities that it needs to do what Jesus has called it to do. Work. And so we see that Jesus' grace is giving the church what it needs and that's leadership. That empowers Christ's people. Not only that, we see that Christ provides grace to to His church by giving each other to one another. Right? He's equipping the saints, the, the holy ones, the body of Christ. This 
interworking, interdependent, interconnected together, corporately, united to Jesus' body of Christ. That is, we have been given to each other. So you look around the room right now, and you're looking at people that are literally gifts from Jesus. These are not just isolated individuals that collect in a space to consume religious goods and services every Sunday. To get their fill. These are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. These are your fellow members. These are your fellow saints. This is the church locally. A visible representation of the church globally, universally. This is it. And it is a wonderful vision and picture of reality. We are one body together. We have been given to one another to build each other up, to encourage one another, to love one another, to protect one another for the health and maturation of the body. You guys are gifts to one another. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? Sometimes you feel like, you know, you're, you're like a nemesis. Like that person over there is my nemesis. They're bringing me down. Listen, it's all how God works to mature us. Your gifts. So that's what we see. That, that Jesus' grace is being given in gifts. Grace is being given in leadership. Grace is being given in people. People who know and trust in Christ. So what I'm trying to get at is this. Is that maturation is going to come as Jesus is growing and building and maturing his church through his church. That's the, that's the, wait, what? How does Jesus grow the church? Through the church. Whatever God is going to do in the world, he's primarily going to do through all of Christ's people. You've heard us say that, I would hope, a number of times. It's a good reminder this morning. It's a good reminder this morning. That we are recipients of grace, but really, by nature, those who receive the grace of Jesus become instruments. Recipients become instruments by nature. We receive it and we give it. Grace in, grace out. Recipients are instruments. And this is the shocking way in which God brings about our maturation in the church. Through the church. Through the church. And this happens back to four, uh, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Maturity. How does it happen? How does it happen? How does the church mature? Through the church. Through the church. What role does the church play, if any, in our growth? It plays an instrumental role. Jesus uses the church to mature the church. I'm going to say it over and over again. Don't miss it. I don't want to be any confusion about this. How do we grow through the church? How do we mature through the church, in the church, with the church? As leaders equip and as saints work out of their grace they have been given, out of the role that they have been given in the body. If you think about the way um, the church grew in the book of Acts, how was it? Things we've been talking about over the last three weeks. The Spirit of God came upon a people. The Word was called to mind. And the Word was preached. 
they met together every day. The church, the church grew, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and to prayers. It was the spirit-filled, word-proclaiming people of God that God used to grow and mature the church and to transform the world around them. God uses the church. He uses his people to build and grow and mature his people. That's what he does. That's what his grace is in many ways. You say, you know what I need? I need grace from Jesus. What does that look like? The church. The church. It's imperfect as it is. As, 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 uh, as failing and sinful as its leaders can be at times. It's ineffective and unorganized that we can be at times. It is the church led by faithful leaders, served by faithful saints, that brings about the maturation of the church. Spirit-empowered, word-proclaiming people. It's instrumental. It is the way. This is how it happens. And the wonderful thing is, is I'm preaching to the choir at Renovation Church. You know the phrase, preaching to the choir, right? Like, they already know, bro. They just sang it. Now you're preaching at them. Like, I'm preaching to the choir because this is what we have seen gloriously. Pray, all praise and glory be to God for what He has done in and through the church in the last seven years. What we've seen beyond that from 2008 when we came here to start planting churches. What we have seen over the 41 years of my life is that, that whatever God is doing, he's doing through the church. Imperfectly, but through the church. The spirit-empowered, word-proclaiming church. We see it here every Sunday. Every smile, handshake. Every time we care about somebody else's kids. Every time you stay late and pray for someone. When someone overhears you singing. Right? The gospel. When you meet someone for coffee during the week to hear and listen and pray. When you invest in someone's marriage. When you, when you go to MC even though you're tired. I mean missional community. Even though you've had a rough week and all you want to do is sit with sweatpants and Netflix. And you say, no, I'm going. When you make those kind of contributions, guess what you're doing? You're working. You're ministering. You're receiving and then becoming an instrument of grace. When you give financially to someone in need, to the ministry of the church, you're, you're serving to build and grow the church. Let me give a little bit of vision to all those small, ordinary, everyday, that seem like nothing and insignificant interactions and circumstances. Guess what? All of that is slowly but surely investing in the reality that one day we will be the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is no insignificant thing what you do here. Responding to grace. God's doing his work in his people, maturing them. The smallest of things. It's like the fingernails, like nothing. No, imagine if you didn't have fingernails. That would be kind of awkward, right? I mean, Becker tries to eat them off all week, but... But imagine if you didn't have... Sorry, man. I couldn't resist. <laughs> Mike, sit down. <laughs> Nothing's insignificant is my point. 
Nothing is insignificant. We need an expanded vision of everything that we do. We sat around as a staff recently, noticing that many people were tired, including us, exhausted. You look back on 2019, and we did a lot, people. We gave more than we've ever given. We've served more than we've ever served. We've grown more than we've ever grown. And everybody in January looked at each other and said, I'm kind of tired. And you know what? Every, a lot of volunteers that we've noticed, some of our leaders, growing weary. Some of that's just natural, not to be concerned about, right? When you, when you invest a lot, expect to be tired. What would concern us, though, is that if there's an exhaustion that comes because we're missing the point. And, 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 and shame on leadership if we're not reminding you of the point. All the insignificant things, all the sacrifices, the week-in and week-out investment in each other's lives, here at church, missional community, helping each other move, meeting in a coffee shop to pray, investing in marriages, guess what? It's all a part of God's grace given so that people approach the day that they stand before Him and they see Him and they are like Him. It is not insignificant. And I think that any one of us, if we catch that vision, we're willing for our eyes to burn and our bank accounts to be low and our schedules to be full if we are bringing about the vision of God in the world. Nothing's insignificant. You're making investment in eternity. Every small thing, every annoyance and inconvenience, it's you helping somebody else Grow and mature into the measure of the fullness of the stature of Jesus. It's not about budgets. It's not about buildings. It's not about schedules. It's not about tasks and activities just make you bored or or cure your boredom. It's about the purposes of God, what he's doing in and through his church to bring about a glory that only he can bring. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? It's much more than that. So let's just cut to the chase. We should not attempt to sever that which is inherently connected. Don't fall prey to it. I can do this without the church. Nah, I don't need leadership. I listened to a podcast on Tuesday. Don't be naive to think that you can grow in your faith apart from the local church. Don't fall prey to the idea that I can do this on my own. All I need is the Holy Spirit in me and my Bible. That's all I need. Holy Spirit, true. Bible, true. The Spirit and the Bible lead us to the church. It's all worked out in the church. Let's not sever that which is inherently connected. Christian maturity and the church. God's going to use the church to bring about maturity in all as a whole, and in every one of your individual lives. And sometimes we're going to mature you by annoying you. <laughs> that was just a little, that was for me. Because today, people see Christian growth as separate uh, from the church, right? We talked about with people about church membership all the time. and You can take it or leave it, Christian community. Whatever. Don't need it. You can have it. Right? There's rampant individualism in our culture. We, like we said last week, we stress a personal relationship with Jesus. We have technological options where we can just listen online. We can live stream in our sweatpants. 
on our lounger. And the messages are good. So we go, man, I feel blessed. You weren't being that strong about it. Again, I listen all week, podcasts, you know, but it's, it's not really how God's growing me. It's part of it, but it's tertiary at best. It's, it's two or three steps away from the ordinary ways in which God has designed for our growth. So what we end up with, too, with people that live that way is like an incohesive, generic, doctrineless spirituality driven by subjectivity. It's just piecemeal faith. I believe this, and I kind of believe that. Not so much that. Where'd you hear this? I kind of just figured it out on my own. You see, that's childhood. What does it say? We, we, we do these things. We empower the saints and we work the ministry. Why? So that we mature. And what happens? So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Childhood is contrasted with maturity. What is it about a child in, in, that is, can be often different about an adult? They are vulnerable and susceptible to danger. They are gullible. Where we as adults, like, we don't trust anybody anymore, right? We've been around the block to know, like, don't just trust everybody. Kids are like, okay. Kids are gullible. They're vulnerable. They'll believe anything. That is a, a metaphor for immature Christianity. That when you're growing, or you think you're growing, or you're living your life uh, uh, severed from the leadership and the saints of the local church, you're, 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 you're kind of unanchored. And wherever the winds of doctrine blow, you're susceptible to the dangers. And when you start to embrace false doctrine, you start to embrace false living. The church is God's grace to us to protect us. Leaders are there to preach and teach sound doctrine, to keep us anchored to the shore so that we do not drift. So don't think for one minute I can grow in my relationship with Jesus without the church. Don't think that for one minute. It's a lie. You need the church. You need your elders. You need to hear preaching. You need to have other Christians around you. Right? You're not adequate in and of yourself to make it to the day that we see Christ and to be the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus builds and grows and matures his people in and through his church. Tom Askell says this, It takes a church to raise a Christian, and believers who think they are sufficient in themselves to maintain spiritual health and growth without submitting to a church are dangerously naive. If your goal is spiritual maturity, you simply cannot neglect being united to a well-ordered, biblically faithful church. Jesus builds and grows and matures his people in and through his church. How does he grow us? Spirit-filled, word-preached, church membership, church connection. That's how he does it. So what do you do? First of all, receive grace. I don't want to miss that, okay? This is a gracious sermon. This is an invitation to drink from the wells of grace. This is not a religiosity. This is not a thing you, hey, you got to start doing all these things. Like, first and foremost and primarily, 
This is about God's design for you to constantly drink grace. Maybe in some ways, you need a new definition of grace. Your definition of grace is twisted. It's distorted. Like, oh, it doesn't, my definition of grace doesn't include uh, godly leaders that are faithful to teach and preach and, and the saints. Like, no, that grace may be bigger. Maybe it just needs expanded. It's bigger than what you think it is. And this is it. And so receive grace from Jesus. Can't assume that you see that as the centerpiece here. The second thing is entrust yourself to biblical leadership. Seems odd. Well, you're the leader, so I see what you're trying to do here. It's not my heart in it at all. If I'm not equipping you, point it out. I'm okay with it. Right? I care enough to be able to just swallow. We're, we're not being effective and faithful. You don't feel like you're getting enough care? Let the elders know. Right? Maybe we stink. Okay. Some people can be faithful and they just stink at it. Well, we can humbly admit that. It's okay. Right? We can get better. We can stay more focused. When you let us know these things, obviously, caringly and respectfully, it helps us all mature. It's all part of it, right? In many ways, that's just stumbled upon something. If there's anything that's helped me mature over the last 15 years as a follower of Jesus, it's been the flock, the church. It's been such a central part of my maturation. So submit yourself and trust yourself to, to leadership that equips. Third, work. Let's get to work, right? I'm talking the vision. Remember, we're working for the vision, the maturation, the growing and the building and the maturing of the church. Let's get to work. We got stuff to do in the kingdom of God. It's part of being made in his image and remade after the image of Christ. We have a task and a mission. We have work to do and we're going to sweat. It's going to be awesome. Because we're going to see God's grace evident in working over time in the lives of his people. So if you're here today and you're, and you're not engaged, like see me, see Mike Becker. We can get you plugged in. Help you discover your grace, your gift, your place in the body of Christ. Point out some needs. Have you just start serving. Get involved in a missional community. Get involved in a small group, one-on-one discipleship. Like Start to get engaged in body life. Join the church. If you haven't joined the church, do so. We want to help you so we can get to work, so we can all mature, so that we're ready to see Jesus. Last, I haven't even talked about this, but verse 15, speak the truth in love. We're not to be kids, we're to speak the truth in love. So that we grow into him who is the head, namely Christ. How do we grow? Truth and love. When you start to think about how you have grown in your walk with Jesus, or maybe when you have struggled, it hasn't always been a connection to whether or not there is a truth and love voice in your life. Doesn't always trace back to that. When I think about my life, the role the church has played. That was, that's basically a perfect summary of how I became the man that I am today and how I still am growing in all my immaturities, even as a 41-year-old man. You know, they're still glaring at times. You know how I continue to grow? 
someone just speaking the truth in love. People around me that are speaking the truth in love. Right? In word and in deed. In the context of loving community. Where we are covenanted together. We're committed to one another. In the context of those kind of relationships. By the way, that's in the church. We like to sever things. So you're just talking about biblical community, man. Biblical community equals the church. Because we're good at it. Just talking about me and my buddies. No, that's that's you and your buddies. Biblical community, right? Equals the local church. Just being clear about that. How have we grown? It's been someone in the church, some leader, some brother or sister that has spoken the truth in love to me. I am who I am today is nothing less than a than a, than a manifestation of God's grace given through faithful men and women who have spoken the truth in love to me. That's my mom, that's my dad, that's my grandparents, that's my wife, that's my kids. There are many of you sitting here in the room, Jeremy and Bernie, Bob Steves. Again, I could just go through the membership roles. I can go through uh, Scott Gibson, uh, my mentor in seminary. I can go, it was, it, was, it was just speaking the truth in love. It was simple, it was relational around the scriptures. His thing was no, pro, uh, no book but the Bible, no program but time. Truth in love. Truth in love. And that's, as parents, what are we doing with our kids when we're discipling them? We're just giving them truth in the context of loving community. Right? You know we love you. We know we're committed to you. But here's the truth about that. Truth in love. And what happens? We grow. So find yourself a relationship that is doing that in your life. Speaking truth in love. Find, and find someone that you can do the same. Be invested in and invest in others. Why? Because Jesus builds, grows, and matures his people in and through his church. Have I said that enough today? Can you grow on your own? No. It's just you and your buddies? No. Podcasts? No. You and your Bible in the woods? No. Jesus grows, builds, matures his people in and through his church. His spirit-filled, word-proclaiming people. What an amazing thing to discover, an even more amazing thing to enjoy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, an imperfect message, but yet a perfect text. It speaks to us today. I pray that you would do something in us, through us, where there's hurt. I pray you would heal. Where there's skepticism, I pray that you would bring trust and faith. Where there is fear, I pray that you would bring peace. Where there's confusion, I pray that you would bring clarity. Where there is isolation, I pray that you would bring community. Oh God, where there is immaturity in us, I pray that you would do your work in every one of your children. God, we humbly confess that we are in desperate need of your grace. Fill us with your grace, Jesus. Empower us by your grace. Use us according to your grace. 
Lead us according to your grace. Minister through us according to your grace. Your grace saves us. It sustains us. It sanctifies us. You're the head. We're just the body. It's your grace. Be gracious to your people this morning. Strengthen them in grace, Lord. May this church be one that remains committed to equipping Christ's people. May we be a church that continues to be one where all of its members serve and invest. And even in the midst of exhaustion, know that it's all serving the purpose of building and growing and maturing your church to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.